Let's open with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this uh, time to come and look at your word. Just pray that you would speak to each one of us through your word in a way that uh, would edify us and excite us about uh, who you are and eternity and um, would dim the world that we find ourselves so mired in so much of the time. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in at the end of the prayer that Paul has at the end of 2 Thessalonians 1. And um, I want to start back where I've started in the past to reread the sort of background uh, for the prayer because it's part of it is a little bit important to today. So starting in verse 5, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. So the, the Thessalonian church is suffering for the gospel of Christ in their, their small church there. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So he's calling on punishment of those who are persecuting the Thessalonian church. And to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. Now here's the prayer. To this end, we also pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, last week we looked at the phrase, the work of faith with power. And, and this week I'd like to just finish the chapter, verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to look at this concept of this idea of glorified in you and you in him. Now, one of the things that I want to bring to your attention, and the reason we read from the top there, is verse 9. We'll go up to verse 9. These will pay the penalty. So these are those who are going are unbelievers that are going to be punished at the return of Christ. Okay, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, when we think about unbelievers, a lot of times we think about, and the, the common statement is, going to hell, right? But the second part of this is something that isn't talked about much, which is, I would call it, if you want to 
secularize it, opportunity cost. <laughs> okay? Opportunity cost is what are you missing out on? Okay? And it's significant and important enough that it's brought forward in this verse. So the first part is these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. What is part of that eternal destruction? And one of the terrible, terrible things about it. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So you miss out on this relationship, interaction, worship, witnessing of His glory, and His marvelous provision for those who are with Him, that are adopted as sons through salvation. It's something that we don't, I, it's not discussed enough, I don't think. Maybe that's just me, or thought about enough. A lot of times we reduce salvation to some selfish pleasures of heaven. Maybe that's not the right word. We're like, what do I get out of heaven? <laughs> okay. Whereas this is saying one of the marvelous things about heaven is that you're with this glorious Savior, Father, God, Creator, okay, and His Son. Part of that benefit is this phrase, the glory of His power. I know, I mean, we're going to look at, you know, glory is one of those tough things to really get your head around. But there are, there are times when we see things on this earth, okay, that are so amazing, okay, so impressive that we're wowed, dare I say, entertained, enthusiastic. Not, maybe not fully satisfied, but they are amazing things to see. They're the kind of things we say to people, you have to sometime in your life go do this or go see this. Or like, it's an amazing thing. And that's something, maybe a portion of creation that has now fallen, but it's a, a little bit of evidence. Let's say go to the Grand Canyon. You know, there's some glory in the Grand Canyon because of its, its sheer size. And there's, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing, okay? And I would say that that's not even a half of one billionth of a percent, right, that would reside in this statement, the glory of his power. The one who is able to create the kind of things we can see in the Hubble telescope, right, that just wows the imagination, right? The one that's able to create, you know, the stuff that you can see under a microscope and just get wowed, right? The one who designed that, right? The one who, who brought that to us, and we see it in, I've been spending some time talking about Romans 1 with the high schoolers, with respect to creation evolution, that God says that demonstrated through what he has been made, that we are without excuse, meaning he put such awe, complexity, glory into his creation that is now even fallen, okay, that it demonstrates part of who he is, okay, 
and that that holds us accountable, that, that information that's in the creation is, allows Paul to say through the Holy Spirit that man is without excuse because of that, which is a powerful statement, that those things that we see th through the creation are evidence of his glory and his power, okay, that we will get to go to the source and spend eternity with him. Okay, so I don't, I don't want to, I just didn't want to miss that since we're talking about glory. That it's not just that hell is the lake of fire and darkness and all these things that are a little hard to get your head around. It's away from the glory of God. You know, it's like, how did you feel if there was ever a point in your life where everyone was one place, but you were alone knowing what was gone, going on and you weren't invited or you weren't, you weren't able to make some, you know, to be there where the fellowship was. And that's a painful thing. Well, imagine that for all eternity, missing out on the glory and power of God and observing all that in eternity. Okay. Okay, I'm moving now down to the 12th verse. So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. And so I guess I'm asking the question from that is how do we glorify God as, as believers? What, what does that mean to, to uh, glorify him in our lives? Okay, so we'll start off with some Psalm 111, 111. Many of the Psalms give us a, a type of language or, or poetry that is really so foreign to even how we talk. I mean, we still, one of the things I, you find in hymns is that we still have that sort of language in our hymns of, of praise to the Lord. But, so let's start in Psalm 111, 1. 1 through 10. Praise the Lord. I give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. In the company of the upright and in the assembly, great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. I like to think that that's us right now, right? We delight in them and we're, we want to know more. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. What a wonderful thing, right? That we can look back and see his wonders, have those moments in our lives when we see or know of or hear of something that we just observe as just God's grace in our lives. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear Him. He will remember His covenant forever. He has made known to His people the power of His works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of His hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. What an amazing statement, right? Or, or collection of statements about uh, who God is, his character, and the way men of God in the past have honored him with words, let's say, and actions. There's two times, I think, where it talks about praise enduring forever, like that we will be in the business of praising God for who he is and what he has done um, forever. Like uh, the cherubs on the cloud with harps is uh, just out by yourself, you know, Whatever, whoever came up, that probably came from the cartoons, because that's like where I can think of seeing it probably that sticks in my mind even as I say the words. It's so far from what the reality of, of God, of our eternity in heaven is, is, is going to be. And then uh, another one, Revelation 14.7. We'll start in 6. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. So, this proclamation from one who has authority, right, from heaven, to make this proclamation about who God is. I juxtapose that with some of the things you hear people say about, you know, every once in a while I enjoy listening to the arguments of the atheists and, um, you know, the... the, the um, it was Richard Dawkins, some of the stuff that he says about, has written in his book, you know, is just so blasphemous from this human judgment standpoint, you know, that God is misogynistic and God is, is uh, vindictive and God is this and God is that. And it's just, you hear that and you think of, he knows not what he says <laughs> in a way, right? Um, you are, you are, you're a kindergartner explaining to the, and this illustration doesn't even fit, but I'll say it anyway. You're the, the, the kindergartner explaining what you think calculus is or what mathematics is to the smartest mathematician in the world who is working on theoretical math at some level and some pompous, arrogant four-year-old thinks he's going to tell you that two plus two is five, you know, because he got his number mixed up, you know. That's kind of what, actually, it's way worse than that, <laughs> you know. You just, you don't have the truth, Mr. Dawkins. All right. Now go to First Chronicles 16. And I want to do something a little different on this verse. And what I'd like to do 
is I'm going to read it. And those of you who have pen and paper, I want you to pick out so that we can discuss afterwards what things are, what, what are ways that are illustrated in this chapter that glorify God. Okay. So in what ways do we get from this chapter do we glorify God? First Chronicles 16.8 Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him, sing praises to Him, speak of all His wonders. Glory in His holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Remember His wonderful deeds which He has done, His marvels and the judgments from His mouth. O seed of Israel, His servant, son of Jacob, His chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in the earth. Remember His covenant forever. The word which He commandeth to a thousand generations. The covenant which He made with Abraham and His oath to Isaac. He also confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. To Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance when they were only a few in number, very few, and the stranger and strangers in it. And they wandered about from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another people. He permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens." Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in holy array. Tremble before him all the earth. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Let the heavens be get glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exalt and all that is in it. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Then say, Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, 
from everlasting even to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. All right. I read it quickly, so you probably... But what are ways that we can glorify the Lord? Give thanks and speak of Him. Sing to Him. Call on His name. Okay? What does it take to call on His name? It takes faith that that's effective, right? <laughs> Nobody calls on His name who is an atheist unless there's some deeper thing that speaks out of His deep knowledge of that there is a God. Make known His deeds, so say what He has done in your life, in others you've observed, mindful of His ways. So acknowledge that he, His ways are above our ways and align our thoughts with His thoughts. Um, I think of um, my grandfather who would start his, or at least the couple times I observed it, his witnessing at the gas pump in Oregon <laughs> would be, can I tell you about something that changed in my life? I have a theological question. Uh-oh. No, go ahead. We cannot add anything to God's glory. He's already glorified me in his own person. We can only revel in his glory. I mean, a lot of this says give glory to God, but we're not adding something to God, are we? Just at first blush, answering that. Our first blush, it certainly we are not, certainly we are not, giving him more than he deserves. So his gloriousness is not added to by us. Okay, But we praise him and acknowledge his glory. And it seems that what we do is a witness of and praise of, of who he is. And that that, is, that that is something that is desired and right to do. And therefore, we're not adding to God. So certainly you're right there but we are praising and acknowledging him for what he has done in a way that is proper and right and, and necessary. It's the difference between what is commonly called his intrinsic glory. He, just like he is a glorious being that can never be improved. Right. But the, the other side is the declarative glory where people are trying to draw attention to that intrinsic glory and, and declare it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're called to do, to glorify Him. Right. We won't be adding anything. It'll just be pointing out His glorious being. Yes. Recognizing that Blakesy Sanders, verse 10, says, boast in His holy name. Mm. I love that yeah. thought that comes across. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That takes courage in the world today. To oh, absolutely. Yep. Your, and your belief in him and it's almost like what it works in you as well when you, yes how it builds your faith mm -hmm. the other thing is i was i'm reading uh, reading through this i'll ask this question as you read this chapter do you feel that this properly represents what israel did so my point is is that this stopped being done. I was listening to a podcast that was discussing Judaism, and there was some statement that Judaism is not a proselytizing religion. 
whereas Christianity is, right? You know, when I read this, it sounds proselytizing to me. Tell the whole earth who God is so that the whole earth will know who God is, right? So what's being referred to as is current Judaism, which just hides out in, you know, small little enclaves and communities and isn't out there telling the world who God truly is. You know, they, they're not doing that. I mean, when you, God said to Abraham, from your seed, all the nations of earth will be blessed, the Jews really wanted to keep that to themselves yep. a lot. And even in the book of Acts, when things are kind of mm-hmm. out, now wait a minute, it can't be the same for them as it is for us. Yep. So. Big arguments about that. The Lord was pushing them. Absolutely. Seems like we need to be careful though, too, because when we point our finger at what they did, oh, for sure. How often do we not do Romans 11? A lot of pictures of myself. Nope. When I read through that Old Testament, you know, where they fall down. It's like, yeah, no question. Yeah. It's a warning. So that's that's Romans 11 there, where it said, "Don't get arrogant," you know. Okay. Uh, anything else that we covered? Singing, fear him. Yep, yep. So. Worship, right? Offering, right? Okay, so um, obviously that was in reference to Old Testament. So to cover that one, we can just go to Romans 12.1. What our responsibility is. And therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So there's worship and and our, our uh, sacrifice of presenting our bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. All right, what else? Is there anything else we missed? Give thanks, cry out for deliverance. Oh, there's one, cry out for deliverance. Okay, when we're in those situations, uh, I think we, actually we did kind of mention that. Um, proclaim the greatness of God's name. Tell the whole world what God has done. There's something that, you know, there's history, and if you look, you know, the Old Testament is a history, and you got to have a history so you know where you come from. Yep. Which way you move forward. Yep. And they certainly had a lot at this point to praise God for, right? Being brought up out of slavery, out of Egypt, and all the miracles that were done, and the, the uh, tabernacle, and the kind of glory, and, the, you know, they had seen it, or at least generations had seen it. I was when it says, let the siege roar. You live there to be. Yeah. Look out and you see, you know, you see the white line over there, you know, and it's, you know, I mean, the huge roar. Yeah, oh, it is amazing. Powerful. I'm two miles as a crow flies, and there's, when the surf's big and the wind's right, I'm sure that I can feel it. I, I have felt. Maybe there's enough movement in the, the air that it shakes the house. I don't know. But it, there's just a rumbling that is so amazing that's moving two miles, you know, to my house in those big, big surf days. You're just like, what is that noise? Oh, it's the roar of the ocean two miles away. Where it mentions proclaiming his salvation day after day. Um, mm. Move the gospel primer a little bit. Yeah. Reminder that's not just us telling others, it's us telling ourselves. Telling ourselves. Reminding ourselves. Yes, preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. Yeah. Because that truly is giving him glory daily in that way. All right, so there's a lot there. It's probably a good one to read over a few times and uh, keep.
keep digging stuff out of that and applying it to our lives. Isaiah 42.8. I'm going to start up in 5. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. There's the jealous God, right, for his glory. I have heard people mock the, that God's a jealous God. And they're equating jealousy to be a negative sin, which it is for humanity, <laughs> because we aren't God, okay? And he can be jealous for his own glory because that is truth and reality. So if we don't, if you live your life outside of reality, then you take credit for things that you don't deserve the credit for. You know, God gave you the blessings that he gave you. He gave you breath, as it says here. He created you, gave you breath to walk around on the earth, right? And he will not share that, you know, privilege with, or, or, or that glory with anyone because that would be a falsehood, right? Here's an interesting verse, John 21, John 21, 19. This is him speaking with Peter. I'll start in 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished, and when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he says, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So here's an interesting statement. We can summarize this in that we glorify and can glorify God in our death. Because he gives a preview to Peter, right? And the statement is, he said this to him, that he would, um, by what kind of death, he would glorify God, that we glorify God in our death, in our, in our attitude or at that point in time. It's an amazing statement, right, to, to think about. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Now, this is this concept of obeying your conscience before the Lord. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The idea that that is our measuring stick, 
okay, that we evaluate our, our activities in areas where there's you know, not clear guidance. Is this, a glor is, this, is this glorifying to the Lord? Is this a beneficial thing in glorifying the Lord, what I'm choosing to do here? Um, which is a great uh, uh, measuring stick, right? Litmus test. Um, all right. Acts 12.20. Uh, this is one who does not give glory to God. This is speaking of Herod. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's uh, chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. So there's a good explanation for, I will not, I'm jealous for my glory. <laughs> Evil Herod is praised by people, and he says, well, you know, just let that, let that hang on the breeze. Let those words hang on the breeze and not correct it. No humility there. No, no, uh, you know, he's absorbing that glory, right? He's accepting that glory, and uh, is, is punished for it. Uh, Matthew 5.16. Think of this in light of the Chronicles 16. Think of, think of this verse in light of the, what we read there. Matthew 5. 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So they see your good works and glorify the Father. So there's something different about that guy, okay? That what he proclaims isn't just words because his actions and his works are praised and go and bring glory to God. All right, Psalm 19, 7. Seven through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So just that acknowledgement of giving the Lord all, all praise and highlighting his character, highlighting his, his characteristics, his attributes um, that that he possesses. All right. Let's go back to Thessalonians. 
Okay, Thessalonians 1, verse 12. So the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. I didn't do much on the reciprocating glory here. But there's some element of us being glorified because he's glorified here in this passage, which is a, an amazing, amazing bit of revelation. Okay? And it says it twice because if you go up to verse 10, it says, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. So there's the, he is being glorified by us. And to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. I guess that's not exactly going the other direction. But this idea that, and you in him. Okay, that there's a glory that results to us. If we think about it, it does make some sense. Because who are those that are in the right? The ones that are in the right are the ones that are glorifying God. The ones that are in the wrong are the ones that are hostile to God. So in light of all men, we're glorified by the Father through our glorification of Him because we're on the right side. We're the sons. We're, the, we're not the slave, right, in the house. We're the sons. We're the adopted sons of the Father. So... Uh, I'm sure that I didn't do any further study on that, but I'm sure that there was something that could be. Yeah, go ahead. Did Paul use that kind of language when he spoke about to other churches that you are my glory church, and here you've thrown into this, you know, fallen God, and it's like there was a false mm-hmm. language. Yeah. So it's like um, the, if you think back to the kingly days, the children of the king have a certain amount of glory because. They aren't the king, but they're the children of the king. That's serious, right? Kind of think of that way um, when you think of God saying that Israel is, the, is like the apple of his eye. Don't touch, don't mess with. That's dangerous territory poking in somebody's eye, right? Okay. We're going to be the bride of Christ, and uh, the woman's glory is a man. Mm-hmm. So there's that. The reflection. The husband and not in right relationship and not have it include the he says wife. in a symbol. Yeah. The reflection as yeah. It Ephesians the church in all her glory. In all her glory. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna end with this. The refrain from the hymn we sing from Fanny Crosby to God be the glory, right? The refrain is praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. What a fabulous uh, proclamation that's reminiscent of Psalms. Right? All right, we'll close. Our Father, we thank you for your word and that uh, you've chosen fit to chosen to preserve it and bring it to us um, where in 2024 we can sit and read what um, great works you have done, what others have said about the works you have done, um, and um, compare that to our own lives and compare that to the time that we live in and
and the directions the world is going um, and see that uh, there is a proper way of acknowledgement of who you are and that, uh, that we could do better at those things. But we thank you for it and uh, pray that it touches our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.